Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Today we examine some hot potatoes in the stew of religious freedom, and we begin with one of the hottest, school prayer. Let's talk with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, about how one's religious beliefs, or lack thereof, can make the grade in public schools everywhere. Lincoln, it seems that this subject just won't go away. Why is that, and why should we as Christians get so involved in this topic, or should we? Well, I I think any Christian that's concerned about uh, religious freedom Mm -hmm. continuing, and in the United States particularly, that means uh, paying attention to the separation of church and state, any Christian then would pay attention. But I can't resist your your opening comment. Just a few uh, moments before we began this program, in the office where I work at the church headquarters, somebody brought by a very nice complimentary cookbook. And I'm figuratively digesting that. <laughs> now, you mentioned but hot potatoes in the stew of life or something. <laughs> yes. I think a stew without potatoes is sort of missing something. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so I would look for the potatoes. And that's the irony of something like school prayer. It's not an unthinkable uh, element of life, but it shouldn't be in the church state stew. Mm. <laughs> this should be in the life stew. You know, prayer is is vital for an individual, and as a Christian, I can't imagine being a Christian without uh, heartfelt prayer. Then it's just uh, an affiliation and a a theoretical thing. So we need to be careful, and there's often the danger with uh, Liberty Magazine and our religious liberty work that we can be, unfortunately, cast as opposing prayer, say, or against prayer in public life. That's really not at all what we're talking about when we argue against government-organized or government-mandated or or local school administration-organized school prayer. Mm -hmm. It's the mechanics of how it's presented or the context, not the activity itself. Like Ellen White, a Seventh-day Adventist pioneer and and, uh, visionary regarded by many uh, still to this day in the Seventh-day Adventist church as directly inspired by the Lord and fulfilling the role of a modern-day prophet. Mm -hmm. Always a little off-putting to many people who aren't used to those anachronisms, but they, they, the Bible says they'll exist. Sure. Uh, but Ellen White said that, that the Bible study in public schools, which is a, one of these recurring issues, she said this is neither right nor legal. Hmm. And she was referring to the First Amendment, I think, which, of course, Americans have long understood as keeping church and state separate. But she says we should be careful that we don't, in arguing against it, basically put ourselves in the position of being against Bible study. She mm-hmm, said mm-hmm. It, it will happen, even though it's not right nor legal. One day it will happen, and then many people will be able to find truth through it. And there's the great irony. Mm. The practical effects for many individuals would not be necessarily negative if the Bible were to be uh, presented by the government or by the schools in, in, in public schools. Mm-hmm. I think many people would be helped. But the irony is it would be part of a process of blurring the line of distinction between state and church. It would be part of the process of empowering the state to then start getting more particular in elements of religious worship that they require Mm -hmm. 
of uh, young people. And of course, it opens the, the door to a theoretical in this case, because we accept the Bible and Christianity is fine. But it would legally open the door to uh, the horrendous possibility that, that New Age uh, philosophies, mm-hmm. uh, Islam, or what you know, you can name your poison because it depends where you're starting on religion. But you know that that would be just unthinkable to some of the same people who want public prayer that that they might be uh, these Christian uh, conservatives. That the idea that they might be. Uh, you know, the call of the muzin from the school yes. bell tower. Yes. <laughs> Rather than bullets rigging out, it could be uh, theological <laughs> bullets, and they would see that as, 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 as a massacre of our state religion, mm. as they imagine it. Well put, so, well put. So, so, you know, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot at stake, even though we're not talking about an inherent harm to the individual. It's the context that it comes at you through state sponsorship. But uh, and all of these things, it's worth remembering that it isn't a matter of uh, a Bible study or, or prayer in public that's wrong, in the home, in private schools, in private situations, or expressed by the individual of their own volition mm-hmm. in these public spaces and public schools. Mm-hmm. That's not only allowed, it should be encouraged. We have to realize, and this is hard for some people, we have to realize that there is not a religion. There doesn't seem to be a God. There doesn't seem to be a belief system that is shared by very many people. There is a huge variety in this thing. So when you say, well, we need to have prayer in public schools, you got to say, well, okay, pray to whom? What kind of prayer? Are we supposed to face a certain way? Like you say, the, the Muslims, are we supposed to bring certain requests to this deity because different peoples would bring different requests to the deities because they have a different God? Well, you soon led back to what Paul came upon in Athens. Remember, in the New Testament, there's that interesting uh, scene recorded by uh, uh, Luke, I think it was, mm-hmm. where... Uh, where, where Paul is at the Areagopagus, yes. <laughs> might yes. be the word right, the, the, the public forum, the open-air uh, lecture theater, if you like. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to – He was at, the one time, if you read the, the writings of Paul and the, the record of his missionary endeavors, he got a bit too clever for himself. <laughs> and he tried to reach a common denominator with the uh, thinkers of Athens – Of course, they had a great tradition going back, Plato and Aristotle and all the rest of intellectual inquiry, and and they had a great pantheon of gods. But he was taken by, as he spoke, there was a statue to the unknown god. They were trying to cover everything. So he tried to roll Christianity and, of course, Judaism behind it all into uh, this expectation of the unknown god. And if you think about it, the United States started the exact same way. It talks about the creator, the, the recognizing sort of a, a, a generalized deity. And I'm not reading things into it because uh, the Enlightenment thinking as well as the deism that was the preponderant view of these uh, uh, educated uh, framers by and large, you know, that was a sort of an unnamed absent God who sort of was behind the scenes and set it all going, but we know very little about him. We expect very little of him. Mm-hmm. And here we're just sort of paying homage to to a generalized deity. Mm-hmm. Of course, they did that because he, he was more amenable to a diversity of religious viewpoint, but it doesn't really uphold any particular viewpoint. And in some ways it undercuts them. 
Well, when you say that we shouldn't have prayer in school, again, you're saying that doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't pray in school individually. Uh, A teacher might want to, and I know I've been a teacher in the past, and I did a lot of praying in school that the students never heard because I was trying to be a good teacher and, and whatnot. So that's not the issue. The issue is for the teacher to stand up in front of the class and say, let's bow our heads and pray. And everybody bows their heads, and then the teacher prays. That's what you're talking about. That's very problematic, because yes. uh, uh, that, that's not really a sharing of personal faith, even though that's an element of it. Mm-hmm. But that's the, the uh, authority figure there requiring all of those young people to participate in their version of religious mm-hmm. expression. And yes, if... As a fellow Christian, I accept that that's the valid and correct and and absolute uh, religion. Fine, I'm comfortable with it. But structurally, it's a very dangerous dynamic, and it allows in other situations something that I would find uh, bad to be projected. Uh, But it's worth remembering, and I've said it before on this program, this debate muddies the water greatly because Mm -hmm. while some conservatives often cite the fact that the Ten Commandments say has been removed from the school school wall, the courthouse wall, correctly, I think. Mm-hmm. They also use this example of uh, uh, persecution of religion in America as, as a young person maybe writing a, a paper in response to an assignment from a teacher, uh, writing about their Christian experience or citing a Bible story and, and having their paper thrown out. That's wrong. They mm-hmm. should be allowed mm-hmm. to respond as their personal morality and their faith calls them and that's not illegal you know it might be inappropriate to the assignment it's worth remembering that a person of a fixed religious faith can sometimes be a bit flat-footed about uh, how they project that to others and and you know if you're asked to write about economic developments in the united states and you throw in a great discussion of tithing in the bible i think a teacher could legitimately say that that's not really appropriate to my assignment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's not usually the case. Very often we're finding that teachers, either because of a misunderstanding of the separation of church and state, or just more and more, just because they think the whole topic is uh, legally loaded, will often wrap the kid on the knuckle and say religion is not allowed here. Mm-hmm. It should be allowed. Mm-hmm. But the question we started uh, discussing here in this program is, Good religious exercises should not be orchestrated, required, administered, you know, these are the same litany that I've said before, mm-hmm. by the state. That is inappropriate, and, and at the end of the day, anyone of real faith should find that sort of spiritually abusive. We're talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, about uh, today's topic is uh, education. And I'm calling the program Making the Grade. We want to make the grade in school, not only scholastically, but we also 
want to represent the God that we love. And Lincoln Steed is telling us that it may not be appropriate for the school to dictate prayer, but it certainly should not stop us from individually bowing our heads before a test or when we're facing the school bully. And uh, or when, in the case of a teacher, when you're facing a classroom of noisy kids, to bow your head quietly and to yourself pray to the God that you love, asking for strength, because I tell you what, both student and teacher need strength in schools. I can tell you that from experience of both those areas. Okay, Lincoln, uh, Holy Days. You mentioned before the program that there is uh, some discussion right now about allowing students of other faiths to enjoy their holy days and have time off from school. Am I right? I read it in today's paper in Montgomery County, I think it was, Mm -hmm. in the Washington, D.C. area or the greater Washington area. Probably is not going to go anywhere, but it's being discussed in the paper. And, 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 of course, people, just like what we previously discussed, people have visceral reactions to this, and they need to think about the the legal situation behind it as well as the religious dynamic itself. As it was presented in the paper, and it made interesting reading, mm-hmm. it was a request that had come forward and it had been backed up by the Council for Islamic Relations. But I didn't take it as coming from a uh, an immigrant or a, uh, a foreign sort of a religious viewpoint. I think this was a homegrown sensibility. And it's worth remembering that in many more urban environments, there are many minorities, mostly African-Americans, who... who a part of a long-term Islamic tradition. You know, black Muslims have sure, operated sure. in American cities certainly since the, what was it, the 70s? Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm X and so on, you know, that, that was a big deal. Well, they were saying now, you know, how come we have these Christian holy days off school, Christmas, Easter, and I don't know if they included Thanksgiving, but you arguably could, could connect that. Yes. And here, some of the Islamic holy days, they have several. There's the equivalent to Christmas and Eid al-Fidir and so on. Why shouldn't these be allowed off? And to me, that immediately raised a question of separation of church and state, but also not just whether or not they should have it, but why do we have what we do have? That's true. That's true. We don't generally question those things. And I, I, I don't think it's probably uh, profitable to go backwards and expunge them from our social consciousness uh, we probably uh, are best to deal with it like the Supreme Court has on some of these cultural uh, anomalies that have existed sort of from the year dot. They say that these are ceremonial deism. In other mm-hmm. words, mm-hmm. As, as I've said before, it's religion removed of its meaning. <laughs> and I just heard a stand-up comedian the other day going on about uh, Christmas and Easter and, you know, like remembering the crucifixion of Christ, uh, we, we have eggs and, and <laughs> the birth of Christ. Uh, we, we have Santa Claus, Santa Claus and, and, yes. and, 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 a, and a weed that we kiss under. <laughs> but what it does illustrate is precisely the hazard of allowing the state to be the uh, the arbiter of religious expression. Mm-hmm. It's easy to track how those things came into the the Western Christian uh, experience. It was Constantine and 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 his ownership of Christianity or sponsorship, and then later Roman emperors, and then the Roman Catholic Church that inherited that civil power. Ironically, mm-hmm. with the collapse of Rome, mm-hmm. they incorporated any number of pagan holidays that were already uh, pretty popular, and they tried to superimpose on those a Christian meaning. Mm -hmm. Well, Christianity, is, as far as its longevity and and, and essential truth, wasn't overly harmed, but it blurred 
the church date distinction and also uh, threw in a few errors for people that weren't well uh, attuned to things. Mm-hmm. And, and so the same would happen now, I think, if, if they were foolish enough to uh, give uh, Islamic holidays. I think all sorts of civil problems would come about, not to mention religious jealousies. Right, right. <laughs> because the reality is in most countries especially those that don't have a clear view of separation of church and state. It's not just that the state religion is the dominant theology. It becomes part of the warp and woof of civil life because of this sort of thing. So you entrench a religious viewpoint. Well, if you have multiple entrenched views, you'll have an equivalent between those religions as you have between paganism and Christianity. Or to use a word that's not used much now, you would create greater religious syncretism, Mm -hmm. which I don't think any uh, religion wants. Well, we will keep our eyes on this one here to see what happens. I I like what you say there, that uh, the the purity kind of loses its its purity when it is... uh, The faith, yeah, faith loses its purity. Faith faith loses its purity, absolutely. I've heard too many times, and I've mentioned it on this program before, well-meaning Christians, Mm -hmm. I mean, not just well-meaning, sincere Christians praying that God will heal this nation. You know, we want him to heal all the nations. In fact, isn't it in Revelation it says... The, the tree of life is for the healing of the nations. Leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Yes. Uh, well, you know, that's a promise for a future uh, eternal paradise. Yes. But uh, here and now, yes, there can be spiritual regeneration of a sorts, but we shouldn't look to the state to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could all pray and work individually for a greater spirituality. And, of course, the family is a beginning venue for that. Uh, a society has many corporate ways to work toward it, but don't let the state do it. That it will muddy it no end. And what we're led to in this in this sort of an argument is these crazy anachronisms of football games that I think they're not evil, but they're hardly church-oriented or faith-directed yes. football games where you argue about whether or not you should pray before them. <laughs> you know, we should pray for protection at all times, especially when we're about to be. Uh, you know, deliberately smashed by an antagonist. <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, I don't really think that's the, the cutting edge of spirituality, whether or not you can pray before a football game. But it may be the cutting edge of spirituality, whether more people in our community are moved to attend church on a uh, Sabbath morning, in the case of those who know the biblical Sabbath, mm-hmm. or Sunday morning with those who are of, of other churches. I mean, there's doctrinal truth embedded in that, but I'm making the statement that it, it's going to be socially advantageous to have people more uh, involved in spiritual exercise and the uh, outgrowth of behavior that comes from that, rather than than mixing and matching with secular endeavors and profane activities. <laughs>
Our guest today, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. We're talking about uh, education today and things that happen in public schools and what should and shouldn't happen in public schools. Lincoln has uh, made it very clear that prayer is a, is an individual thing, as are holidays. And we really should be celebrating the holidays as Christians or as Muslims, but we may not may not be a good idea to have our public school systems um, celebrating these holidays along with us. And we have, and the way they get around that is say, well, this is a cultural thing as opposed to a spiritual thing, things like Christmas and Easter. But uh, we as Christians need to really know the difference that this day, even though the postman does not deliver on Christmas, this is the birth of Christ day, and we need to remember that. Lincoln, any other areas and directions you want to go in the subject of education today and religious freedom? Well, there's no question that education is probably our best hope in every level. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the education of young people through the formal system, which ironically for all the, the, the federal government talk we give is really a local government issue. Yes. <laughs> uh, but often the mandates come from the federal government. Uh, but I really think on the issue of religious liberty per se or civil liberties in, in general, uh, our real hope is to educate all people, starting with the youngest, on the underlying principles. Mm. And, and I do wish that in public schools, while they shouldn't, as they do periodically, flirt with things that are crossing that line of separation or sometimes denying it too absolutely, but yes. still, they, yes. you know, it's a hot button issue. I wish there was more concerted study in the schools about the value of faith in society. Mm. They could do that. That's not talking about religion in an instructional sense that's putting it out as one of the uh, the life options and what it represents the value of believing in something right the role of of faith and belief yeah. can be done on an inspirational level not just on religious formal religion but yes. the role of of, of the divine in, in human experience that could be discussed and then on the constitution it's been a long time since i've been in school and i was largely educated in the united states so mm-hmm. I, I remember it all but based on my experience and, and the experience recently of this, the uh, legislators reading the Constitution, I don't think Americans have great knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. No wonder too many people fall easy prey for the off-status comment from some of the religious right that the separation of church and state is a, in an erroneous concept, doesn't mm-hmm. exist in the Constitution. <laughs> so it should be explained to young people both the value of faith in society mm-hmm. but the necessity to keep uh, uh, the lines drawn between the power of, of the government, the power of the people, and the power of religion through individual lives. Hmm. A reading of the Constitution is kind of eye-opening. I did that a couple months ago. I, after doing this program for a while, I thought, well, maybe I should know what we're talking about. And I read the Constitution, and you know, it is eye-opening. You, oh, well, yeah, there it is. Oh, it says it. There it is. The things that a lot of people are uh, denying, it's right there in black and white. There are some areas that are hard to understand, but most of it, it's right there. Well, it's not a very complicated document. No. I mean, elements of it are rather arcane, yes. and, and, and there's the danger it's treated like it's an inflexible, well, it's not inflexible, but it's a, uh, you know, a rigorous standard that we, we base our laws on and that can yes. only be changed in a formal procedure through yeah. constitutional amendment. Yeah. But, you know, much of it clearly is archaic, and as I've said before, it even gives dollar amounts to civil suits and so on that are sort of ridiculous now. I could wish they were limited to, <laughs> yeah, really? it's only, a, what is it, $25 or yeah, something on yeah. one occasion. <laughs> But the principles are very plain there. Uh, The most exciting reading on the Constitution really uh, is the Bill of Rights, Mm -hmm. which was an add-on by definition, but was really a uh, prerequisite 
by most states to accepting the Constitution. So they're really part of it in its most uh, initial sense. And that I think people should be very conversant in. Uh, and we need more education there yes, <laughs> rather than, than with people that are ignorant of that, then uh, spoon feeding them something inappropriate in the hopes of uh, uh, Christianizing them or, or, or spiritualizing them. Do you think it's a good idea for Christians to insist that their children not attend public schools? Uh, is it a danger to put Christian boys and girls into that environment or are we safe in doing that? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's a danger, and I have two young people in public school, so I, I could hardly say it's unacceptable. Yeah. A few years ago, some in the Christian right were arguing both against homeschooling and uh, private church schools, saying that we had a civic responsibility to send our young people along to public schools to help sort of moralize or Christianize them. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it should be an absolute. I think there's a room for everything, but it's worth remembering that public education in the U.S. is not the original model. And that at the beginning, it was primarily private religious That's training. That's true. That's true. So just because the state has picked up on it doesn't mean that we should continue through state avenue, the religious training. So there's a, there's a very clear uh, uh, need, I think, for, for dedicated Christian schools. How do you prepare young people then for that environment? How do you prepare your young people for that environment? What, what do you do different for them? Well, we talk to them a lot, and it's, and it's dangerous, but as... As even the advisors have pointed out to us, that's the real world. Yes. And so yes. If, if they're sheltered in a church school, hopefully they were getting better direct instruction. But mm -hmm. there's, there's still going to come that moment when their faith is put to the test and, and they have to internalize it rather than repeat mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm sure that decision is a very personal thing. Whether Yeah. It, it just comes a little earlier yeah. uh, when, when the young person's in a public school. Mm. Uh, and, and, and the statistics within, I know, the Seventh-day Adventist Church are plain. Young people that go through the full church school system are more likely to stay with the faith of their family. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's a, a, a statistical advantage, which I'm sure translates most times into a, an individual case. Mm -hmm. But some reasons, and, and I'm not going to explain my family ones, maybe that, uh, you know, you're doing the best with what you have from any number of right. uh, criteria. Right. But at, at the end of the day, the family should be where values originate. If yes, you don't have yes, them at all in yes. the family, I don't think a church or a state school, even if it uh, improperly for the Constitution projects religion, it's not going to take adequate root in the child's life. I think that is the absolute bottom line to this thing, that let's not look to a school, whether it is a church school or a public school, to instill religious belief and, uh, and a faith system into a child. That happens in the family. And if it's not happened in the family, it's not going to happen in church school. It's not going to happen in public school. And if it has happened in the family, that child is much more safe in both environments because both the church school and the public school have real temptations and real issues that uh, the child has to face. So it's important that we instill that in the home and not depend on outside influences for doing that work. Absolutely. And the Bible's quite plain. And the Bible, of course, accepted by Christians. And I recognize those non-Christians, other religious viewpoints. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the Bible says, train up your child, you know, repeat these things to them. So when they're old, they'll know. And it says that they will repeat it to their children. Yeah. You know, that's the, the, the uh, historically proven method of passing on viewpoints, particularly religious viewpoints. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so listener, if you have a child that's going to public school, you know some of the issues that that uh, child will be facing. If you have a child going to church schools, it's very important that you still maintain that very strong presence, spiritual presence in that child's life, because the answers don't come from the uh, the teacher's pulpit. The answer comes from the hearth, from your home, Absolutely. and from the parent's heart. Lincoln, our time has flown by. I just love talking with you. And uh, I like the way you summarize what we're saying. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> You're glad. like becoming my alter ego. I can see. Or maybe it's the other way around. I don't I, know. I, I, there's a little symbiosis happening here, I can tell you right now. Okay, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.